on, anybody grateful to be in church this weekend? Remember that you are the church, it's not a building, so wherever you are, the church is. Jesus, this weekend, God, we just look to you. God, we wanna remind our hearts about who you are and who you are for us and what you think about us. And so, Jesus, as we look to your word this weekend, God, my prayer is that people's eyes would be opened to a greater understanding of who you are. Jesus, I know there's gonna be people this weekend that are gonna be watching that have never heard about Jesus or are unfamiliar with Jesus or have a bad interpretation of who you are. And God, there's also people here who have been in the church for a long time, but God, this weekend, no matter how long we've been with you, God, or in relationship with you, or how much we've known about you, God, I just pray that this weekend you would break down preconceived notions and understandings of who you are. Jesus, we just want to magnify you in all of your splendor and goodness and strength. We love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge your presence that's already here, it's already with us. And as we look to your word, God, would you open up the eyes of our understanding to see you more clearly. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everybody at across all of our locations and homes around the world, somebody say amen, amen, amen. In the comment section, say amen, amen. We're going to start this morning in the book of John, in John chapter 6, and it's a fairly familiar passage for a lot of people if you've been around church for a while. It's, it's not going to be a new story per se, but I think we're going to take a look at it in a way that might bring a little bit of freedom, some clarity, some joy in your life. Anybody want to have some more joy inside your life? Um, we're going to take a look at this, and while you're opening your Bible, go find a physical version of your Bible if you can. If you have to, use your app. Worst case, we're going to put it up on the screens for you. But get your Bible out because we're going to take a look at how Jesus sees our needs. Anybody got needs? Anybody got problems? Anybody going through something? Anybody feel like what they have isn't enough? You don't have enough money for the challenges ahead. You don't have enough patience to stay with your kids any longer. All the moms said, what's up? You don't, you don't necessarily have the understanding or the wisdom to navigate through this season. You, you don't have the emotional wherewithal to go through the divorce or the breakup. You feel like what you have doesn't measure up to the challenge in front of you. I want to read to us a story that I think is going to be really enlightening. I think it's going to bring some hope and some peace to your life. I want to just dive right in um, and, and get right to the text. And we're going to start in John 6, starting in verse 1. And this is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this story begins this way. It says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 2 says, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. So here we have, uh, this, the story starts off with a bunch of people following Jesus because of the work that he has done. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of how my story with Jesus started. I started seeking Jesus and pursuing Jesus and seeking to have understanding about Jesus based upon the fact that I had some needs. 
Like I, I couldn't figure out a way to get free of some things. So I was going to see if Jesus could help. Like I, I didn't have peace in my life and I tried everything. So I was going to see if Jesus could help. There was sickness in their lives, so they wanted to see if Jesus could help. I don't know about you, but for, for most of us, our relationship and our walk with Jesus begins based out of what Jesus might be able to do for me. And the story is consistent with how many of us feel, and it goes on in verse 3. It says, then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly the time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw the huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Jesus, you got something that we want and we're going to hunt you down. Turning to Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, he said, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? Like he could see thousands of people tracking them down, thousands of people in pursuit of Jesus to see what he can do for them. And Jesus looks at Philip and he says, where can we get some bread for these people? Verse six is something amazing. I want you to circle this verse or write it on your hand, but it says he was testing Philip. Why? For he already knew what he was going to do. Can we just push pause in this story really fast? Can I encourage some of you that might be going through a difficult time in your life? You might be going through some tragedy in your life. You might have received a bad diagnosis. You might be separated from a spouse. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you lost your job or your home or your security or your safety. Something has been rattled in your life. Jesus already has a solution in mind. Sometimes in the middle of chaos, it can feel like, Jesus, you've left me all alone. Where'd you go? Like, if you love me so much, why would I be going through this situation? Can I encourage you? Jesus already knows what he's going to do, even in the middle of your dilemma. And oftentimes, what's at the heart of the dilemma, what's at the heart of the struggle, what's at the heart of the gap between what you have and what you feel like you need, Jesus is trying to question something internally. He's trying to ask you a question and he's trying to see what your answer is in the middle of your dilemma. And here's what he says. He says, for he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew what Philip saw. Jesus knew what his disciples saw. His question wasn't, what do you guys see? His question was, can you see this dilemma by the way that I see it? A.K.A. Philip, do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? If you're watching on one of our church online platforms, just type in, do you see what I see? This was the challenge for Philip. Look in verse seven. Here's Philip's response. Is he going to answer this question properly? He says, Jesus, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all of them. Like, Jesus, there's thousands of people. We didn't bring any bread with us. If we were going to buy bread for all these people, we would work for months. 
Other translations say for a year. Some theologians think it was a wealthy man's salary would be required for an entire year, would be required to pay for these people to have bread. Jesus, even if we work for months, we wouldn't have enough bread to feed all of them. There's so much crammed into this passage, so many unbelievable things that we can glean for our own life. But what Jesus was ultimately questioning his disciples on was something that ultimately you and I get challenged internally on every single moment of our lives. Philip has met with this, what feels like seemingly insurmountable gap between what they have and what he feels like is demanded in his life. I wonder, have you ever felt that? There's a gap between what I have and what I need. What, what I feel like I should have and what I feel like is demanded from the situation in front of me. Have you ever been there? Because Jesus is trying to use a situation just like this, and he just might be using the situation in your life to also ask the same question. Here's the problem. Peter, Philip is sitting there and he's looking at the multitudes of people coming. He's realizing they don't got any food to feed these people. But the problem is that if you measure what you have against your need, you will always fall short. Like even the wealthiest men and women in our society feel like they have need for a little bit more. Like even people with some of the most robust insurance policies around their life feel like they need just a little bit more to be safe. Have you ever felt that? It feels like what you have just isn't enough. Jesus is trying to challenge the fact that if you measure what you have against your need, you will never have enough. It reminds me of that famous story. Many of you will be familiar with it, but a reporter came up to John D. Rockefeller in the height of his affluence. During this time, his net worth was approximately 1% of the entire nation's income. Like this dude was a baller. He had some cheddar and the reporter comes up to him and he says, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? Like, when will you have enough? Because you're, you're continuing to build enterprises and pioneer new territories and start new corporations. How much is enough? And, and his response, his iconic response is just a little bit more. I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life where it feels like what I had was never really enough to meet the demands of what I felt like I needed. I could long for the, for the promotion and for the raise and increase my income. And when I finally get that, it still, for some reason, doesn't feel like quite enough. And so if I could just make it to that next income milestone, then I'll feel secure. Then it'll be enough. Then I'll have the car that I want and I'll be able to put enough aside that makes me feel safe. And I'll be able to put my kids in that school and make sure that they wear these clothes. But then you get there and you realize, I just need a little bit more. Philip goes, Jesus, <laughs> we'd have to work for months in order to buy all of these people bread. Jesus, I, I ran the numbers. I just don't see how this is going to work out. I wonder if there's a lot of you right now going through situations where you're going like, Jesus, I've, I've ran through the numbers. 
I've thought through this and I just don't see how this is going to work out. Like some of you are going, I even trust Jesus. It just looks like I don't see how he's going to make a way. And I'm stuck right here. I don't see how he's going to make a way out of this situation, out of this depression, out of this addiction. I don't see how he's going to make a way. Jesus, I ran the numbers and it's going to take months to pay for this. The problem was that Philip measured needs differently than Jesus measured needs. You see, Philip is in this moment, he's sitting and he's talking through how to make ends meet with the creator of the world. He's sitting there in stress and he's overwhelmed, not really sure how it's logically going to happen. Like, how are we logically going to feed these people? How are we going to logically make this work? Jesus, I don't see how, how we're going to make ends meet. I don't see how we could possibly make this happen. All the while he's dialoguing, contemplating, conversing, panicking internally with the creator of everything. Do you see kind of how illogical this moment is? He, he's going, I don't see how this is going to work out. Creator of heaven and earth, maker of all things, like savior God in the flesh. I don't see how this is possibly going to work out, but I have a question for you. Does the creator of the universe see need, see demand the same way that I see and feel need and demand. Jesus is infinite in all of his glory. He's infinite in his authority. He's infinite in his resources. I don't think he bats an eye at what I go through. I don't think he's going, yeah, you're right, Philip. This is, we got ourselves into a sticky situation, my man. For us reading this story, we see some of the almost comedic aspect of this text, but I wonder in light of what you're going through, do you remember that the one that you pray to, the one that you cry out to, he's infinite in what he has and what he can do and his resources and his authority. I was thinking this week about a a way that I could make this make sense and help you see what this passage is trying to communicate for, for your situation and your life and my life. And I was thinking, man, every single illustration I come up with is just kind of dorky. Doesn't really make sense. And I'm going to share one of those dorky illustrations that just didn't make sense. And I'm going to tell you why I had a, a struggle. I was thinking about our lives and the, the needs that we have, like the deficits that we have, things that we have to fulfill and complete, obligations, bills we got to pay, relationships we want to see restored, jobs we got to find challenges that we need to navigate through. And sometimes it feels like we come into the situation with all of our resources we know what to do with and all of our intellect and all of our wisdom and our savings and our hard work and the late nights. And we just try to satisfy the needs and it never feels like it's enough. Have you ever felt that? Never quite feels like what you have will be adequate for the challenge ahead of you. Be gone. And I started thinking, I'm like, man, in a lot of cases, it feels like what Philip is trying to bring to this equation is what he can muster up. It's what he could work for and earn and achieve. And yet he's with Jesus that has 
infinite supply. And so I went, I could just tell everybody, like, it would be like Jesus now coming to us, seeing our deficit, seeing our inability to complete what we need to complete, and he brings an ocean full of water, able to supply that and then some for our lives. And I was like, this is such a dorky illustration. And the reason why it just breaks down is the fact that Jesus, that God Almighty, he made the oceans. It's his idea. He spoke it into existence. He doesn't just have an ocean worth of resources and of supply. He has an infinite amount. The ocean was his idea. He created it. He spoke one word and it was formed. When Jesus looks at my deficit and my need and the challenges and the things that keep me up at night, it's not that he doesn't empathize with us. He's just not challenged by it. And here Philip is looking at his half-empty glass of water when he's sitting with the one who made the oceans. And I started to think, man, a lot of the problems and the anxiety in my life, the things that keep me up at night, the things that I just worry about how it's actually going to work out, those anxieties have a lot less to do with provision And they have more to do with my provider. You see, if Philip would have realized in this moment, he's sitting with the one who made everything. I think we're going to be okay when it comes to feeding these people. And the Bible continues on. And Andrew, one of the disciples who was close by, he chimes in with a brilliant idea. And he says this in verse eight. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up and he says, guys, I got it. I I figured it out. He said, there's a boy over here and he has five barley loaves and two fish. I got it. And it's, it's almost like he started with so much faith and so much enthusiasm. And it's almost like he loses all of his faith mid sentence. He goes, I, there's a boy over here with five barley loaves and two fish. And then he goes, but what, what good is that with this huge crowd? But, but what, what good is it? Like, think about the audacity that he has to go, guys, I figured it out. All of these thousands of people, there's, there's a few loaves of bread and two fish. I feel like that's how a lot of us start. We start going, God, I'm at a deficit, but I know you're with me. God, I know that I know that I don't feel like I have enough and I don't have what it takes, but, but you're with me. And it almost feels like, have you ever been here where the next sentence you're like, but what good is it? I don't know how you're going to come through anyway. What good is it, Jesus? I don't know that you're actually going to come through. What good is it? What good is it? I, I got a promotion, but what good is it? What good is it if I just start paying down such a small amount to an insurmountable debt that I'm trying to pay out of? What, what, what good is it if, if, if I try to serve my spouse, yet they still despise me and they're still sleeping around and they still have an addiction outside of our marriage? What, 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 what good is it? What good is it? Can I encourage you that Jesus wasn't worried about what Andrew saw? 
that the thing that made Andrew lose faith mid-sentence doesn't make Jesus lose faith. Jesus is not worried about what we see. He's asking, do you see what I see? And look what happens in verse 10. This is amazing. The next statement, Jesus tells everybody, hey, I want you to tell everybody to sit down. Andrew, I like where your head's at. Have everybody sit down. So Jesus said that. And it says, so they sat down on the grassy slopes. Now, I want want to help make this make sense for us. It says that that the men alone in this situation numbered 5,000. So let me paint a picture real fast for for this situation. They're, They're sitting there seeing the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Andrew goes, we got five loaves and two fish, guys. It's amazing. We can do this. Then he looks at the loaves and the fishes. Then he looks at the people. And he looks at the loaves and the fishes and he looks at the people. Now we're talking about five loaves of bread and two fish. Now I wanted to put this into scale for us and help think about what they're looking at in this moment. And I asked our creative team to put together what it might look like to look at 5,000 people. Five loaves, two fish, thousands. Five loaves, two fish, thousands. You can kind of start to empathize with Andrew in this moment that he couldn't quite see how five loaves and two fish would feed thousands. But what's even more crazy is the Bible says that 5,000 was just the number of men. Theologians say there is also women and there is children there. And oftentimes women were the first people to follow Jesus because they're smarter. And so really theologians say that there was probably somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people present. So I told our creative team, we'll just cut it in the middle. Let's do 12,500. This is what it would look like to be looking out upon the multitudes Our creative team said, it's too hard. The dots have to be too small to to fit them all on the screen. And I said, perfect. 12,500. And he looks, five loaves, two fish, thousands. Five loaves, two fish, thousands. I don't know what the situation in your life that you're facing with right now, but it might feel like five loaves, two fish, and thousands. But Jesus wasn't encompassed and engulfed with the fears and the doubts and the anxieties and the worries and the confusion of his disciples. He said, fellas, have everybody take a seat. Andrew, you, you don't necessarily see what I see. Someone in the comment section say, you don't see it. You don't see it. If you're sitting with somebody going through a challenge right now, just tell them you don't see it the way that he sees it. You don't see it. Here they are, they're dialoguing back and forth. And he says, five loaves, two fish. And Jesus says, it's perfect. Have everybody sit down. So his disciples start walking, trying to orchestrate 12,500 or so people to sit down and, and, and little groups of 50 to 100. And all the while, they got to be thinking, what are we going to do? Jesus, five loaves can't feed everybody. What we have isn't enough. We couldn't even work to have enough. Jesus, yet you want everybody to... Sit down and watch what the Bible says in John 6, 11. Watch how Jesus handles the need of the moment. Then Jesus took the loaves 
gave thanks to God. I love that this, this story is actually said in all four of the gospels. And when, when, when Matthew gives an account uh, in the book of Matthew uh, of this exact passage, it says that he looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And then it says, and then he distributed them to the people, meaning the bread to the people. And afterwards he did the same with the fish. Watch the next sentence. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Friends, just a minute ago, just a moment ago, Philip said we would have to work for months just so everybody could have a little bit, teeny bit, God. Just a teeny little bit, we'd have to work for months. And then in a moment's notice, because what, what they lacked was given to Jesus, Jesus provided so much so that every single person ate, and not only ate, but they ate as much as they wanted. Friends, I think what's power packed inside this passage in, in, in John 6, 11, or, or in the book of Matthew, it says when he, when he took the resources, <laughs> the five loaves in his hand, what he had in his hand was enough to feed the thousands once he looked to heaven. Friends, there's a part of this equation that most of us skip past. Most of us look at our needs and sometimes we cry out to Jesus. Sometimes we ask for him to help, but there's something that Jesus did and modeled for us. He just looked to heaven. You see, what his disciples didn't know is they had heaven in flesh form right in front of them. They had Christ, the Lord. They had God in the flesh right in front of them, yet they could not see him in the face of their challenges, in the face of their deficit. And in Jesus's moment of lack, he looked to heaven. I wonder what some of us could learn by what Jesus does in the face of your lack, in the face of your deficit. What would it do for your soul? To remind your heart that someone greater is watching. Someone that doesn't feel lack or deficit is near. Friends, I feel like for a lot of us, some of the challenges that we face, the lack of money, the lack of health, the lack of understanding, the lack of retirement, <laughs> the, the, the lack of know-how, how to raise your kids, the, the, the lack that you're facing, whatever that might look like. Sometimes we go, Jesus, I know that you can provide, just provide for my need. But I think Jesus is trying to show us in this picture that if you just saw me for who I am, your need would diminish. You'd stop looking at your bank account as your provider. And when you're reminded, my bank account is not my provider, but God Almighty is my provider. What would that do for your peace? You'd probably long for a little less money. You wouldn't care about it as much. In this moment when you feel like you're lacking and you don't have the wisdom, if you knew that God in his word says that if I lack wisdom, I can cry out for wisdom and he will supply it generously to me. I might feel like I lack the wisdom, but the God of everything is with me. Sometimes, friends, the Bible says to look to Jesus, not for the solution we think we should have, but to realize ultimately he is the solution our souls 
cry out for. So Jesus takes the, the bread, <laughs> not enough. He takes the fish, not enough. He looks, looks to heaven. He rem, is reminded of the fact that what he has isn't just based upon what he can see. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. What I see cannot be defined by what I have. What I see cannot define what I have. I'm sorry. What I see cannot define what I have. What Jesus is saying is, listen, friends, what you have in your possession is not the ultimate indicator of what you ultimately have. When you walk with Jesus, what comes with him is infinite supply of everything that your soul longs for. If you feel lack of peace because of the resources that you have, remember who your provider is. If you feel trapped right now in addiction, or if you feel trapped right now in sickness or disease, remember who your health is. Remember that this life is fleeting. Jesus could heal you in a moment, or he's going to send you into eternity to live life to the full forever. Friends, what you see can never define what you ultimately have. I love this. John 6, 12, the story continues. And it says, after everyone was full, circle that. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, listen to this. Now go and gather the leftovers. Remember, he had five loaves, two fish. Jesus' disciples alone could have eaten this meal. He said, go and gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted Verse 13 says, so they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets full of leftovers. Friends, what you have can never be determined by what you see. There's another person in the equation and Jesus is going, listen, I know that you're in lack. I know that it seems like this can never come to pass. I know that this seems like you're never going to get free, but there's another person to add to the equation. They walked around and they picked up 12 baskets of scraps. Friends, what was left over once Jesus intervened was more than what they started with to begin. I wonder, do you see what he sees? I know you're facing a challenge right now and it is hard. It's so difficult and you don't know how you're going to see yourself through this. Can you see it the way that he sees it? Can you run to him and look towards heaven? Because he has the ability to provide what you lack, what I see cannot define what I have. You know, as I was reading this passage, I was reading it in all four of the accounts of the Gospels, and one of the things that jumped out at me in Matthew's account of this story is the way that he leads into this story. The Bible tells us that he and his disciples, they were trying to get away, to get some rest and to recover after a long day of ministry. And so when thousands of people were coming to see them, I don't know about you, but I, I think I might push him away. I think I might tell them to go elsewhere. I think they, I might tell them, leave me alone. I need to replenish. 
But in Matthew 14, verse 14, I want to show you the type of God. Yes, he has an infinite supply. Yes, he lacks nothing. Yes, he is greater than everything, has authority over all. And what you lack, he has. But I think a lot of people go, I know this about you, but are you going to actually come through? I want to read to you who the Jesus was that met the needs of these people. Matthew 14, 14 says, he saw a great crowd and look at the response of the creator of the world. It says, and he had compassion on them. When he saw them, he wasn't irritated or bothered by their demands and their need. It says that he had compassion upon them. And what I love is that this word compassion in the Greek literally means that he, he was disturbed in distress and he felt compassion at the deepest parts of him, literally meaning in his bowels, at the most intimate and delicate place of the creator of the world, when he saw their need, he was compassionate. Friend, can I tell you, when you come to Jesus with your need, not only can he supply what your soul ultimately is longing for, but his heart breaks with compassion for your need. Friends, just those two thoughts right there of nothing else in your situation changed should provide so much peace that the God who made everything, his heart breaks for me in my situation. He can't just empathize. He, he breaks God Almighty and his depths breaks over your situation. If you're asking the question, will he provide for my need? The Bible says he already has. What you think that you need right now in this moment is a healing. But what you need to know is that somebody is in greater control. What you think you need is a new job. And what you really need is contentment. And a job will never provide that. What you think you need is safety. What you really need is a provider who cares for you and is there for you in your time of need. You feel lonely like there's no one else who gets you. Can I remind you right now if you're lonely and nobody else like me, nobody else gets me, nobody else is near to me. Can I remind you of the one who's described as a friend that sticks closer to a brother, the one who's described as the one who is a present help in your time of need. You are not alone don't need more friends. You need Jesus. Reminds me of this unbelievable Psalm that I just want to read over you if I can. The Psalmist is giving an account for who God is. And I think it just all encompasses what we just saw in John six and in Psalm 23, it's an iconic Psalm. It starts off in verse one, this way it says that the Lord is my shepherd, AKA the one that leads me and comforts me and guides me, provides for me, directs me. The Lord is my shepherd. And he says, I have all that I need. Notice that he doesn't list off all that he has. He just says, God is my shepherd. Therefore, I have everything that my soul needs and longs for. He lets me rest in the green meadows. Notice that Jesus asked the people, just be seated on the hillside. 
He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. Notice he guides you along right paths. You don't have to know the right paths. And by doing this, it says bringing honor to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? Because he is close beside me. Not because there's going to be a light shine inside of that dark valley, but because he is near to me, I won't be afraid. And I love what it says. It says, for you are close beside me, your rod and your staff, they protect me and comfort me. Can I tell you that the heart of God for you is to protect you and to comfort you? And then he says, you prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus, this is illogical. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Notice nothing changed. He's just with his shepherd. He just knows the one that is beside him. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows with blessing, a.k.a. I have more than enough. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I just want to declare that over you. If that was your mentality in the middle of struggles, if you realized who was with you through the storm, who was with you through the challenge, who was with you in your deficit, who was with you in your addiction and in your need, when you realize who is with you, it changes the game forever. Because he is with me. Friends, I want to ask you, in light of your challenges that you face, they are real, they are difficult, they are challenging, but I want to ask you a question. Do you see what he sees? Do you see what he sees? As I close, I just want to give you three takeaways. I just want to synthesize this message as you face challenge and lack and need. I want to give you three steps for remembering the supply that can only be found in Jesus. Step one, take what I have. Acknowledge what you have. Might not feel like enough. Might feel like you're lacking. Might feel like it will never be enough. Never amount to what you really need. Take what you have. But then here's the key. Look to heaven and remember Jesus. Remember that you don't have to go through this life just amounting to what you have. But there's another in the equation. Take what you have. Remember Jesus. And then watch this. Let him serve. Not your supply. His supply of what your soul really longs for can be found in Jesus. I need to take what I have. I need to remember Jesus and I need to allow him to serve me. For some of you, it feels like a weird thing to let God serve you. But the Bible says in the book of Matthew 20 verse 28, that the son of man did not come to be served, but came to serve. What did he come to serve us with? Everything that we lack everything that our souls long for. Take what you have. Remember Jesus and let him serve you his supply. 
Jesus, I just pray right now for every single person that is in a place where they feel like they are lacking, where it feels like things aren't necessarily going to line up or finish the way that they thought that they were going to finish. God, I just pray right now, Jesus, would you help us to look back to you? God, you're not intimidated by our need, yet you look upon our need, not flippantly. You, your heart breaks with compassion. Jesus, be near to people right now that are struggling. Help them to see your nearness and your nearness is all that we need. God, we wanna see it the way that you see it. And God, I wanna pray right now for every single person that has never professed their faith in Jesus Christ. God, ultimately what this story was pointing to was the fact that you were gonna die and be the bread that our souls long for. God, the five loaves, the number five represents grace. And, and the two fish, number two represents union. You are going to come with grace and to create a new union with broken and sinful people. You would cover our, our, our shame and our brokenness with grace. And you wanted to be close to us. Jesus, I pray for every person that has never made you the Lord of their life. They have never professed you as king. They've never received your grace and your forgiveness. God, they felt like they could never measure up. Jesus, that's exactly why you went to the cross. And so right now I just pray, Jesus, would you meet these people where they are? Your word says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. If that's you, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You've never accepted his forgiveness. You've never accepted his supply that what you lack, he provided. Would you just do something crazy? Would you just raise your hand? If you're watching at one of our church online platforms, would you click the raise hand button? We wanna, we wanna be able to celebrate you, encourage you, but we want you to just take a physical step to declare what is happening inside of you. Jesus, I just pray for every single person who, who is now committing their life to you. The, the, the old things have passed away and newness of life comes, not because of what they've done or what they will do, but Jesus, you provide for them a life and a righteousness and a purity that they couldn't earn. And so God, I just declare that over people watching around the world in this moment. Jesus, what we lack, you provided. And the question of our souls is, can we see what you see? God, we wanna see it that way. We love you and we praise you. And it's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we all pray. And everybody at locations around the world said, amen. Hey, Red Rocks Church, we're getting ready to go into a time of worship. And I wanna encourage you, stay put, don't leave early. We're gonna sing two brand new songs that have come out of our team at Red Rocks Worship recently. And we just wanna declare these over you. We wanna sing these over you. So just take a moment, create some space. Look to heaven in light of your need and let God serve you with the supply that was his son, Jesus, at every location around the world. Let's worship.